Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to Football Digest, ahead of another another major weekend in Premier League football. Uh, joining me this morning, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer for the Daily Star and Matt Dunn, football writer from the Daily Express. Morning, guys. Um, things moving on. Not only is it a um, big weekend of Premier Fo- Premier League football, it is, of course, we're sort of halfway through the transfer window and things um, hotting up um, today. It looks like, one thing, as, as we're on air now, it looks like there's a good chance that Danny Ings is going to go from Aston Villa to West Ham United. Ironically, of course, West Ham play Everton. Everton themselves, I think, made an inquiry to see if they could take Ings on loan. Um, uh, I think that was last week, but that was um, knocked back. But it looks like Ings could be on his way to West Ham, one Claret and Blue team to another Claret and Blue team. Matt, um, West Ham and Everton, both in desperate need of points. Is Ings the type of signing that could have a, a real good impact on West Ham's fortunes? Um, well, one would think so, because goals have been a, a bit of a premium for West Ham. Uh, but it's just strange that a, a club that did so well last season seems so far off the boil this season. And it's almost like it just needs something to click into place for them to get going. And I, and I know that's what the owners uh, are holding out for with David Moyes is that, you know, he's the guy they would have gone to if they ever needed to, to get out of relegation. Indeed, they went to him last time, last two times for that for that very reason. Um, it's fresh life into the club uh, within the means that they're able to, uh, uh, within the means that they're able to deal with. And But at the same time, it does smack a little bit of a desperate throw of the dice to get things going. I don't know. Uh, West Ham should be too good to go down. The stadium seems to be working more for them these days in terms of a fortress. Um, you know, the, all the negativity around leaving Upton Park seemed to have died down. And this was the season they were supposed to kick on. So it, it just needs a bit, a bit of tinkering, I think. And uh, perhaps things is the man because he's he's never quite fulfilled the potential he's ever he initially showed at any of his clubs and perhaps this is a chance for him to finally do that yeah i i, I think it'd be a good sign i think he's a, i think he fit, he would fit the bill for for either club both of them of course struggling for goals both of them got injury concerns around around their forward options um jeremy west ham versus everton a huge game i mean to me i mean there's so many ironies about this game is is that actually um the vibes we're getting is that bizarrely West Ham versus Everton, West Ham, the West Ham manager, David Moyes is probably more likely to, to go if his team lose than Frank Lampard is to go if his team lose, you know, and, and, and that to me seems odd. And of course the irony is there's probably, if David Moyes was to go, then I'm pretty sure that quite a lot of Everton fans would have him at Goodison Park. How do you see this one Saturday, mate? And how do you see, you know, how do you see what's gone wrong really for both teams? Well, I don't think it's going to be one for the purists, is it? If, if recent evidence is anything to go by, I mean, where do you start with Everton? I mean, you know, look, Lampard, they won one game in 13, they're in the relegation zone again. You know, there was a party mother of all parties at Goodison Park nine months ago when Lampard kept them up. 
and you hoped, you know, because we, you know, I'm not an Everton supporter, but whenever you go to Everton, it's a proper old school football club, the People's Club. You know, they've got such a proud history. You want, you don't want Everton to go into the Championship, but you don't think anything, nothing's changed. You know that Lampard doesn't appear to have. Um, a platform to work with because the problems clearly rest with the owners, Mashiri, Kenwright. You know, we had that incident last weekend when they played Southampton and lost, but the directors were advised not to attend for their own safety. I mean, when you get into that situation, that is as poisonous as it, as it possibly gets. And I've never seen, I've never seen it that bad in all my time. I've, I've covered Everton uh, or followed them in a professional capacity. So, you know, it, there are grim times and there have been some poor decisions at boardroom level, um, you know, and they are no better off now than they were this time last season under, under Rafa. So, you know, there's just no signs of any progress. And, you know, you're right. I mean, the ironic thing is, would Everton fans take a defeat uh, for, for Lampard to get sacked and for hopefully to see Moyes come in? Would, you, would an Everton fan want that to happen? I mean, it's not beyond the realms, is it, really? I mean, Moyes did have a wonderful career at Everton. Um, he made himself a great manager at Everton. And, you know, you just don't know, dear. I mean, it's such a huge game. Look at what's happened to Southampton. I mean, you know, they, they were getting beaten regularly under Nathan Jones. And um, they're two good cup wins, and including beating City. And they've now beaten Everton. They've won three. And you just, you know, you don't know. If, if Everton win, on, win at the weekend, it could just spark something. But, you know. Would it be a solution to all the problems? Absolutely no, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it could. Uh, in, term, in terms of Lampard, in terms of Moyes, you, you mentioned Moyes there, you know, and that hypothetical situation about him um, getting released from West Ham and, and ending up at Everton. I'm sure quite a few fans, you know, would 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 welcome that scenario. But I still think there is a little bit of a residue of, 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 I wouldn't say goodwill, but patience with Frank Lampard. The impatience, of course, is with, is with the, the hierarchy, with the, with an owner, Fahd Mashiri, who they, who they very rarely hear from. And, you know, the odd call to a radio station, the odd open letter doesn't go to a game, hasn't been to a game since October, 2021. And of course, fundamentally, the problem is a long-term problem. The problem is that Everton have gone through a spell of, um, certainly the, the six years or whatever that that, that Mashiri has owned the club, spent a lot of money and have just relentlessly recruited the wrong players. I mean, you know, uncanny. You, you, but you actually, you actually couldn't, you actually couldn't. I mean, I think you know, you, you're you're hiring people on on big contracts to take charge of these recruitment um, process. And actually, you, you you couldn't actually do it as badly as Everton have done it if you tried. I mean, you literally couldn't. You probably couldn't get the man off the street, a man or woman off the street, to say, could you buy as poorly as this and end up with a squad that not only isn't performing, but is actually pretty much valueless in the transfer markets. That's the double whammy, which then creates this situation where Everton actually can't afford. So Everton, for example, assuming West Ham do complete the signing of Danny Ings for about, I think it's about £15 million, Everton couldn't do that. Because Everton, you know, had to go for it on loan because of of, of 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 restrictions. You wrote recently in your column, which is I thought was a really interesting point about um, would it be such a bad thing if Everton actually did get relegated and went into the championship and then won some games, got some momentum, just brought that winning feeling back. My only worry about that would be you you, you often see teams who go into the championship and they don't come back for years. 
mean, Leeds would be the perfect example of that, I suppose. Perfect example. You also see teams who, who come straight back um, regularly. So Burnley will be another example of it this year. Burnley will come back. Norwich came back. Burnley, Burnley were relegated, you know, whenever it was, four or five years ago, came straight back. Had a great season in the championship. Remembered what it was like to win games. Remembered what it was like to score goals. Remembered what it was like to have the football. Um, and Norwich do the same. Um, Burnley will do it again this time around. Yes, yeah, it is dependent. I mean, listen, let's face it. They're going into a new ground, Everton, the season after next. So the season 24-25. You know, imagine, for example, if they did go down, which some people seem to see as some sort of apocalypse. But imagine if they went down and they and they had a great season in the Championship, won a lot of games, came up with momentum into that new ground, into the Premier League. Yes, listen, no one no one is pretending really that, that, that it would be a great thing to go down. Of course it wouldn't be. But it wouldn't be, I mean, and I think this is actually a generalisation, you, you know, this idea that relegation from the Premier League is some sort of doomsday scenario, I just don't agree with it at all. But anyway, out of the two... Who's going to win Saturday and who is going to be best equipped to avoid that doomsday scenario? Matt? Well, I'll go back to what Sean Dyche said to his players, Burnley players last season uh, when they played Everton, is that they don't know how to win. And if it was true then, then it's got to be true now after nine games uh, without doing so. I mean, October the 22nd seems, well, it's a World Cup ago. Um, you know, it. They're so badly out of form. I think the London Stadium, West Ham still can use. I think perhaps if they can get Ings over the line in time to give a bit of a boost within the, the, the team, uh, they'll just have enough. I Like Jeremy said earlier, though, I certainly won't be queuing up. I think it was one to watch on the uh, on on the uh, live services um, rather than wait for match of the day. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I see West Ham edging it. Um, which is obviously bad news for any Evertonians, Andy. I agree, actually. I think Everton, I was just going to say, Everton's greatest strength is their support, isn't it? You know, I was just thinking about the scenario, if they did go down into the Championship, the support would still flock to watch them. But but on the flip side, it's if Everton go behind these days at Goodison Park or wherever they're playing, the, the, the Everton fans, they're right on their back straight away, aren't they? Because they're just got no patience, they're fed up with everything that they've been forced to watch. So it can count against the players. And I think West Ham have got too much quality to go down. I think Moyes has got way too much experience for them to go down as well. I think West Ham will stay up. Right, interesting. Away from that, I mean, listen, you know, there's so many clubs now seem to be, um, and it's always the same when you get halfway through a season, so many clubs or so many fans evaluating, you know, whether it's been a good season or a bad season, whether their club's in crisis or not in crisis. Spurs, uh, big rivals, of course, of West Ham, are one of those clubs. Um, and again, they've got a big game tonight, game at the Etihad tonight. And um, obviously they were quite meek in getting beat getting beaten by Arsenal. And once again, they seem to have, you know, one decent game, one not so decent game. And it brings out the whole, um, the whole Antonio Conte um, um, situation. Now, Matt, obviously, I mean, you covered him very closely. I think his latest pronouncements in his press conferences, which get increasingly, uh, let's say, um, I mean, slightly off the wall. His latest one is that it shouldn't be him doing them all the time. It should be someone else doing the press conferences all the time. You know, he, he's not getting paid £15 million a year to do press conferences every day type thing. It should be someone who's not getting that sort of money. 
What do you make of his latest stuff? And what do you make of the whole Conte, you know, is he happy? Is it long-term? The whole relationship with the club, the whole direction that Spurs are going. What do you make of the whole thing? Well, I was there on Tuesday, um, and it was it was a strange press conference because as well as not wanting to be there doing it, when he was there, he was busy saying how much he missed his family in recent months uh, and had some big decisions to make. In, uh, he had to rethink how he looked at his future when it comes to the summer. And that's hardly a message for a squad that needs putting together, needs a rebirth, a reboot, if you like. Um, because the mood, uh, it's weird. You can perhaps read in too much into the little uh, close contact that you get with players these days. But the atmosphere at White Hart Lane after games, it just, and even during games, just doesn't seem like they're a unit anymore. The team, a team full of energy. Uh, they're a collection of individuals um, who are underperforming, uh, reluctant to take responsibility for that. And with some very senior players, I think there's a post-World Cup uh, problem, you know, that perhaps has affected Kane, not so much in his goal scoring, which he's still, you know, finding the net occasionally. Uh, Lloris is obviously, uh, seems quite, has, has had an absolute stinker since the World Cup. Um, you know, some senior players aren't playing well enough. Nobody's there to get them back on track. The energy's not there. Const- you know, they've had the same problem uh, all season, which is they let the other team score first. Um, they've uh, basically, West Ham, bizarrely, are the only team to have come back uh, and got even a point against Spurs once they've scored first. The trouble is they never do it. Uh, they start so slowly, there's a lethargy about them, um, uh, and the, the whole thing just feels wrong. And there was a great picture at the start of the second half of the North London derby, uh, or sorry, before the first half, with Spurs all lined up and Arsenal all in a huddle. I'm not a big fan of the pre-kickoff huddle, I have to say, but it did just look like a team against a group of individuals, uh, and that's what's fundamentally wrong with Spurs at the moment. Jeremy, how how do you see um, what's going on at Spurs? I mean, you're looking from you know from from a slight distance. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what exactly do they want? What exactly are the limits of their ambitions? You know, what, what, I mean, and generally, Conte's future. I mean, if he does go, what happens after that? Look, managing Spurs is not easy, is it? We, we, we've seen that with various managers down the years, and Conte knew that when he when he took the job, but he also took a job at a club. With a wonderful stadium, probably the best stadium in Europe, arguably, let alone the Premier League. He's got a talented squad. He's got World Cup was in there. He's got Harry Kane, the England captain there, who's going to be, become the team's greatest ever goal scorer. Um, this, they were the fourth biggest spenders in the summer. They spent 170 million on new, new players. It's not like he's not been given the tools to succeed. And, you know, these rants are all well and good, but you just got to accept that he, Conte is a high-maintenance manager. It's one of the reasons why United decided against appointing him when they were looking for a replacement for Solskjaer back in the day. So, you know, look, Spurs are the bridesmaids, aren't they? I know it's a cliche, but they are bridesmaids. And the worrying thing um, from their point of view is that the longer the years roll on without them having won a trophy, the bigger that burden becomes for whoever is the manager. And, you know, Conte's not a guy to... Suffer fools, is he? He won't. If he thinks it's not working for him, he won't hang around. I'd be surprised if he's still manager of Tottenham by the start of next season. And like Matt said, you know, when you watch that North London derby last weekend, it's like watching men against boys. It's like Arsenal was so superior in that first half. It was embarrassing for Tottenham in front of their own fans as well. And it just shows you how much progress one club has made. We'll probably come on to this in a minute, but 
under under someone who clearly has a plan and a blueprint for success compared to another club in Tottenham that don't appear to have that same blueprint. So, you know, the difference is vast. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, we will come on to Arsenal a little bit um, later. We're just sticking with Spurs um, for the moment. Um, you mentioned there that you can't see that Conte will be manager there next season. Matt, if he's not, who will be? Uh, will it be Thomas Tuchel? Oh, he's made a fairly obvious play this week, hasn't he? Which always makes you sort of wonder where the managerial code's gone, uh, you know, right now. Um, yeah, uh, I don't think Tuchel's the right sort of manager either. AVB didn't do very well. I always see those as similar sorts of uh, managers, you know, playbook managers who... And I don't think Tuchel's got the right sort of energy. And I certainly don't see him lasting more than five minutes with Daniel Levy as his boss because Tuchel's Achilles heel, all, the, uh, all of his clubs, has been rowing with the people above him. Um, and Levy's not going to have any truck with any sort of dissent from from his manager um, whatsoever. Um, <sighs> there's the emotive thing is, do they go back to Pochettino, which might be the only thing that keeps Harry Kane at the club as sort of... I think I can see Pochettino persuading him to give it just just one more last shot, Harry. A last, last, last shot, Harry. Um, but but anyone else, I think you've got Kane itching will will leave uh, or be itching to leave, and will feel it's his right to leave. Um, and you start again, and you know finding those managers who can be a project manager, like Arteta's proving, like Pochettino proved first time. They're few and far between, as as Chelsea finding with Graham Potter. It's not that easy to identify. Newcastle have done better with Eddie Howe. But they are hard to find, these project managers, who can build a club with aspirations, but not quite the finances, into a title contender. And let's be honest, there's no appetite at Spurs this season to fight for a Champions League place. That's not what they're... They want to win something. Uh, and, And they're not motivated by the thought, oh, you know, if we do really well, we'll finish fourth. You know, that that's not doesn't float their boat anymore. They know they should be winning stuff. They're seeing Arsenal make a better fist of it. The, the, and the motivation's gone, and it kind of needs to, you know, with Conte gone and he's making all the noises that he plans to leave, um, then they need someone who can do it, and, and that's going to be a crucial appointment. Uh, but outside of perhaps Pochettino um, with a completely fresh slate, you know, it's hard to pick one. Tuchel is so much like Conte in so many ways, isn't he? They're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, he's going to row with Levy straight away and it's just a disaster waiting to happen. The problem they've got, Dunny, as well is, um, you know, Manchester United are are back to are heading back towards where they need to be. We've seen that in recent weeks. I know they threw away two points last night, but, you know, they are they are so good now, United, compared to what they were Last season, they are they are t- genuine top four contenders, if not outside title challenges. So they're back in the mix. They've not been in the in that scenario uh, for three or four years, even longer maybe. And you've got Newcastle, who are obviously in the top four now. So that top four, th- there are seven, eight teams challenging for for four places now. Tottenham, so there's more competition, and Newcastle are gonna. You know, they're going places. We've seen that this season. So, um, you know, whoever takes charge of Tottenham next season, should Conte leave, it's a massive task just to finish in the top four for Tottenham, let alone win a trophy. Yeah, I mean, Matt just mentioned then about Pochettino and, and that might be a 
um, some sort of incentive. Um, I'm sure there'll be other incentives for Harry Kane to extend his contract. Maybe he has a contract. I think that runs out in the summer of 2024. So they should be thinking about that contract fairly soon. Obviously, he turns 30 next birthday. Um, it is almost a, a question that now comes up. You know, as soon as Spurs um, go into one of these um, um, spells, you know, we're, we're, we're incredibly inconsistent and don't look like winning anything. Matt again mentioned there they need to win something. Harry Kane does. What is the future for Harry Kane? And you know what? It's funny. I, I when I saw the way Haaland started the season with Manchester City. I kept thinking to myself, I can't, I wonder what Harry Kane's thinking. Had that move gone through, would Harry Kane have scored the number of goals that Haaland scored? Yes, he might have even scored more and he and, and he might have even fitted in better to City's style of play, link and play up. You, you know, I watched Haaland on, on Saturday and and he didn't link play up um, in one bit, really. Um, and I just thought then, I wonder what Kane is thinking, you know, the move that got away. Is he going to be at Spurs for life, lads, or... Is he is the one move in it? How about Man United? What a statement signing that would be if they could get Harry Kane. You know, if they get Champions League football, say Harry Kane, come and do it. Look, I, I think the scenario the scenario is simple for Kane. He needs to leave Tottenham while he's still relatively young. I mean, he's thirty. He's, he's almost thirty, Kane. So he'll be thirty this summer, I think. Which is is a prime age for someone who plays in this position. And when I think of Kane, and you know, he's Look, he's been a wonderful player for Tottenham. He doesn't owe Tottenham anything. You know, he's going to probably end up breaking Jimmy Greaser's record. He's close to that now. But but he didn't want to look back on... He will look back on that with pride when he retires and he's old and grey. But he, he wants to look back on his medals. He wants to look back on what he won. He wants to, you know, have something tangible to, to boast about. I always think about Alan Shearer, you know, and he could have joined Manchester United and he went, his heart, his heart ruled his head and he went to Newcastle instead. Just imagine how many, how many trophies Shearer would have won if he joined Man United instead of Newcastle. He went to Newcastle for obvious reasons, being a Geordie, didn't win anything. So the greatest ever Premier League goal scorer didn't win anything in his, his career. I mean, he, won, he won a title with Blackburn, but, you know, um, for, for, for his talent, Shearer, he must think sometimes, you know, did I do the right thing there? And Kane's in the day. I mean, Kane is clearly loyal to Tottenham and he's getting well paid and all that, but... Man United is screaming out for someone like Kane, I think. You know, they need a proper number nine. Marshall's not up to it. They've obviously signed Weghorst as a temporary solution. Rashford's obviously playing so well as a as a winger. Just imagine if you could have Rashford and Kane in the same team. It'd be a no-brainer for, for Kane, I think. But, you know, clearly feels some loyalty to Tottenham. But it's just like a he knows he's not going to win anything at Tottenham. And it'd be so sad to see Kane finish his career without a trophy of some description because he's such a wonderful player. Matt, I mean, obviously, we all take the point about, you know, Kane probably having to go elsewhere if he wants to win trophies. Of course, probably the reason why he wanted to go to City, um, particularly, was that City is probably as close as any club you've got to guaranteeing you a trophy. Um, He does turn 30 next birthday. Um, Is he still... If, if if it becomes clear that he does want to, to leave Spurs, he does want a new challenge in what will be the, you know, eventually be the final stretch of his career, are there plenty of takers? And who in particular would you have down as being favourites to get Kane if he goes in the summer? Other, I mean, Manchester United, having watched them last night struggle to put Crystal Palace to bed, they, they're they crying out for, for, for Kane. Um, 
of uh, just for one. Uh, whether Levy will sell him to to United is another matter. Um, he still has a small amount of control over that. Um, Germany, I've always thought of as somewhere where Kane can go, uh, sign for someone like Bayern Munich, and you know have the same sort of at least guarantee of some sort of domestic honours. Um, the Spanish thing is weird every time because they supposedly never have any money and then pull off massive signings with financial fair play boxes all ticked and whoever knows how else they do that um, sort of chicanery. Do you get get what I did there? Um, uh, the uh, so so yeah no I think there'll still be takers for him because not being funny he's still rattling in goals even though he's playing in a underperforming Spurs team. You know. He is an incredible talent. He's adding new dimensions to his game. Um, so a manager, you know, managers will want to pick him. You know, he is still a world class talent. He he is. We say, yeah, he's nearly thirty. Well, he's still in his twenties. You know, uh, and you know, he, those early those injury problems which dogged the sort of middle part of his career. You know, Touchwood, he seems to be more on top of. They've not recurred for a couple of seasons. So. Um, so yeah, no, I think he's got plenty of football left in him. He's it, that record, that Spurs record, that that could be closure for him at the club. Um, I don't think there's a right-minded Spurs fan in the country or the world who would begrudge him a move after everything that's gone on and everything he's helped the club to achieve so far. Um, and he's honest about it. It's not about the money; it's about the medals. And you know, yeah, he'll he'll find someone who's likely to win, more likely to win something than than Spurs certainly are. Also, Andy, just going back to Kane and United, when you look at how Tenag operates as a manager, Kane is a perfect, perfect high-profile player for Tenag because he's so disciplined. You know, Kane is so low-maintenance, never gets into any bother. You know, he just would fit in so well with Tenag and the way he runs, runs his squad. Uh, by the way, and just to add, Jeremy, what you said earlier, playing uh, Kane and Rashford together is a no-brainer. How soon we forget the World Cup when that didn't happen very much, but hey ho, it, 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 it did happen to particularly good effect on one occasion. I mean, from the start, yeah, well, exactly. But um, but then you lads are all for it, all to carry on that way with England. So exactly, exactly. Um, but for what it's worth, I mean, I, I agree with you. By the way, about the landscape changes really in terms of age for, for well for all players nowadays because they because they look after themselves so well. But for strikers, you know, Kane, you know, we will we will say, and I've just been as guilty as anyone to tell when he turns 30, well, then, hey, you know, I mean, look at Lewandowski, look at Benzema, I mean, look at, you know, Ronaldo even, obviously now coming to end, but, but, but he is 38 in next week or whenever it is. So, yeah, he, he, he might have five or six years left. And for what it's worth, though, I do think that at this stage of his career, I find unlikely that he would, be tempted by a move abroad. You know, yes, Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern could find the money for him. But I just I tend to think he'll stick with what he knows, and that's the Premier League. And I I, I think I think it'd be I think I think I'm with Jeremy. I think I think it'd be a great sign for Manchester United. I mean he's he's no white wag horse, but he's you know I'm sure he'll do his job. The one the one slight doubt United may have is because of his age, United have all, all always had this philosophy where when they're signing someone for a lot of money which Kane would obviously be. They worry about what's the what's the sell-on value. And obviously, if they signed Kane, it would probably be the last move of his career. So that would come into their thinking. But I still don't think that would put them off signing. 
the issue would be agreeing a fee with, with like Matt said, with Daniel Levy, because we all know what hard-nosed negotiator he is. Yeah, but but he'd have a year left of his contract, you know. I mean, so I I mean, there would be, I'm sure, a, a way around that. And of course, whoever owns United, then um, it might still be the Glazers. It might not be, you know. I mean, but whoever owns it would be daft to sort of say, well, we haven't got any any residual sell-on value. And also, these type of rules will be very flexible. It's like United saying we're going to bring in the Ronaldo rule. You know, no one gets more than three hundred grand a week. Blimey! I mean, like, you know, what sort of rules? You know, I'm sure it's all very very very, very flexible. We just mentioned the two clubs there in conjunction with Spurs. Spurs obviously getting getting comfortably beaten by Arsenal um, last weekend. Arsenal now, you know, a big game against Manchester United this Sunday. Um, is, is it getting to the stage now where, you know, a couple more wins for Arsenal, including one against the team that, that, that we'll, we'll come on to whether or not United can actually be serious contenders this season. Is it getting to the stage, Matt, where... If Arsenal can put together two or three more wins, it really does become their title to lose. Well, it's, it's incredible that they're, they're currently um, eight points clear uh, with the same number of games. Um, and that's the biggest lead they've had at the top of the Premier League on, on any particular match day since the final day of the Invincible season. And it's taken that for the bookies finally to make them favourites for the title. Um, clearly there's a suspicion across the whole of football that Arsenal are going to implode. They have the record for the, the number of times they've led the league and not won it. Um, they're, they're, I mean, if you remember, the Spurs got a lot of um, criticism for for failing to chase down Leicester that season, but it was actually Arsenal who topped the table then in January. Um, and and they, they threw it away and they have done, you know, consistently in the final year's of Wenger right through uh, the sort of Emery period, whenever they've looked like they're doing anything, they, they've fallen away. Um, Arteta, I think there's an energy about them at the moment now, though, that, that gives them a greater momentum. Uh, and they can ride, like they, they dropped points against Newcastle. They were back for the North London derby um, uh, and really up for it. And there is a unity there uh, and some leadership. I mean, Odegaard is an incredible player in terms of, making things happen, wanting to be on the ball. Um, you've obviously got the feistiness as well. Um, Granite Xhaka running from the halfway line after the Ramsdale incident, trying to get involved in a fight that he had no hope of ever reaching. Um, but they've got those kind of figures that want to be seen to be, you know, involved and stuck in for their mates and all the rest of it. And it's it's a kind of... Yeah, strength that Arsenal haven't had for so many years that, that Arteta seems to have brought out in 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 his younger players as well. Um, and week in week out, Saka turns up and and plays well. Um, all their keep Martinelli has stopped being as flaky as he was when he first started, and every week seems to ask questions of defenses. Uh, they're looking more sound at the back. Uh, they've got good players struggling to get into the team at the back, like Tierney. Um, ben White's sort of been re-reinvented as a right back again and when he was going to be a centre-back. But he's got there's cover there, so they're not worried about injuries. Um, and on Sunday, with United not having Casemiro, you know, I quite fancy them to 
claim another three points and put another rival out of the the race. So yeah, I think it, it, already now it's Arsenal's to lose, and and you know they'll kick themselves harder than ever if they don't. And what is it? Nineteen years now. George Graham pointed out to me the other day it was only eighteen years when he won it. So. Yeah, we're on overtime for Arsenal, really, to to expect a title. Um, and, yeah, this is a big one for them. Jeremy, before I come to you on Arsenal, just while, now that Matt's mentioned it, what did you make of the um, the Casemiro yellow card last night and the fact that he misses Sunday? Obviously, Ten Hag was quick to point out that they beat Arsenal without Casemiro in the starting lineup, which is true. Um, but... It was a strange one, didn't you think? I, I thought it was odd. Well, it was. It was. It was. When I saw, saw it first time, I thought, "Ooh, that could have been a red." That was. He basically just jumped in at him, you know, shin high, really dangerous tackle. And, and you know, Tenag was stood on the the footage. Obviously, Panther Tenag was just stood on the sideline, shaking his head in despair. Why? Why have you just done that, mate? Sort of thing. And it was most out of character from. Casemiro, because I've seen quite a lot of him this season since he arrived at United, and he's quite a calm sort of influence. He's not a not a dirty player. I mean, he's a streetwise player, and he's obviously South American, and he knows what he's doing. But he's not. He doesn't sort of jump into tackles. He's not feisty. He's a great player, obviously, but and he's just so out of character. And um, I thought Tenag's probably woken up this morning and thought, you know what, I've dropped I've dropped a clanger there. I probably he probably should have been off the pitch by um, by the stage time he got booked. Yeah, possibly. You know what I mean? It's, it was just weird. You know, you know what I thought. I mean, and now this is this is, by the way, just tongue in cheek and a joke. But I did look in. I thought, you know, when we used to talk about players. Remember when they come Yeah, when they come up towards Christmas, you know, and you'd, you'd see the obvious Christmas yellow, you know, as, as you like, and you think. And I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, he's only yellow. I mean, that looks as someone who's got who's got something planned for the weekend. But I mean, clearly that is not the case, everyone. But um, no, it was it was a bit odd. They will miss him. They'll miss him, Jeremy. They'll miss him against a, a, against an Arsenal midfield, you know, which to me is proving to be. I mean, I think they've got quality all over the pitch, Arsenal. But the Arsenal midfield is proving to be, I think, the game changer in this title race. Um, and Matt, listen, the, the 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 reinvention of Granite Zaka. I mean, absolutely brilliant. He's become a little bit more disciplined. Matt mentioned him running over to get involved in the fights that you know he couldn't have possibly reached, but you know, you know, he would have got involved if he could have reached it. Let's put it that way. And his reinvention has been one of the stories of the season. As Matt quite rightly said, Martin Odegaard is is is, is you know is actually turning into the most influential midfielder in the Premier League, and I'm categorising him in the same bracket there as Kevin De Bruyne because because every time Odegaard gets the ball he spots a pass he sees a pass he's strong and he can score as he showed on Sunday so to me Jimmy I'm seeing very few weaknesses in this Arsenal side the only thing I would say is that um is that obviously they haven't a lot of these players haven't haven't competed for a title it is only halfway in the title race and you know I don't want to be a sort of um Part of the, I don't want to be the chief superintendent of the celebration police, but the way they're celebrating wins at the moment and the way Arteta's behaving, I'm thinking, blimey, you've got 19 more games to go, and 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 there's you know they're, they're celebrating winning the corner, you know, as though it's the, they've won they've won the title. So is that is that something they will have to be wary of the the emotional intensity to last for the next 19 games, and do you see them actually doing that? I, I mean, and, and are they now justifiable favourites, Jeremy? Well, look, they're in pole position. I mean, they're eight points clear. 
that's a that's a big lead. I know. I know. There's still we're halfway exactly aren't we, in the season. So you know, look, there's still what 50, 60 points to play for, whatever. And Guardiola actually was asked about this yesterday at his press conference, and he spoke quite sort of lovingly about how much faith he has in those players he has who have a wealth of experience when it comes to getting over the line in the final few months of the season. And look, Arsenal have deservedly at the top of the table have been by far the best team this season, the most consistent. They've lost one game, I think, all season. One player you've not mentioned when you reference midfield, and Odegaard has been the standout player along with Saka, but Thomas Partey, you know, what a great player he is when he wants to be. You know, I know he's had injury problems, but if he can, if he can stay fit for the rest of the season, it, that will be a massive plus for Arteta. You need, it just gives him that steel in midfield. And when you look about, look at all the great title-winning teams. Well, he looked like Vieira for Arsenal back in the day and Roy Keane at Man United. All great teams have that sort of, that figure in central midfield who just binds it all together. Um, but if you're asking me, will they go on and do it? Look, let's see. I mean, I'd still back City to win the title. I really would. I know they've been a bit inconsistent this season, but... They just know how to win. They just know how to win the trophies. And Arsenal don't have any anyone in that team, really, who's got that wealth of experience. And, you know, it's a learning curve. It's a sharp learning curve. And the, when the pressure's on, you just don't know, do you? We've seen Arteta ranting and raving on the touchline. You know, he's got some bad press for that, and rightly so. And you just you just feel like he looks like someone who could implode if it's, you know, if that lead gets cut to, say, three points with six games to go. Just imagine what he's going to be like on the sidelines. It's going to be incredible to watch. So, yeah, look, he's done a wonderful job and it is now theirs to lose. And look, if they, if they beat United at the weekend, they'll be 11 points clear of United, who've played a game more. So that could you could probably rule United out of the title race if, if United lose on the, at the weekend. Because that's... If it gets to double figures over City in terms of a lead, Guardiola won't panic, but he'll be, he'll be really worried because that's, that's, a, that's a big lead. But you... City have chased down, the, I mean, they've famously chased down Liverpool a couple of times in the title race and picked them. So they know what they're doing. They won't be panicking yet, City. Yeah, I just, could I say on a note of caution to Arsenal, um, Arteta himself said last season it takes 90 goals to win a title. And they're just before half halfway, they're on 42. So they're under par on that. Uh, they've got the wins they want, but they're not doing it comfortably. And... The, the, that's the difference is in the, the men up top. Um, City have got Haaland, um, Arsenal have got Nketiah and, you know, as, as much as he's a promising talent, um, albeit an ageing promising talent because he gets, you know, he's been a promising talent for a while now, um, you know, that's the difference. And when they drew against Newcastle, for instance, some better finishing might have gotten three points uh, and that that's two points. And if it becomes a tight title race, those sorts of margins become key. And I think Arteta will be a lot happier if, if he had a, a better player at the, the very top. And Jesus was doing that, but but he's on me around now. And that is where, you know, the fine margins that City can exploit uh, and, you know, slowly close that gap. Tell you what though, Dunny, when you, when you watched them play Tottenham last weekend, that first half, they were sensational, weren't they? You just looked at them and thought, this looks like a Guardiola team, the way they played, with the movement, the high press, their energy, the work rate, they're so disciplined. You know, you just thought, God, that looks just like watching City at their peak. 
And obviously, clearly, Arteta's learned a lot from working under Guardiola, and he's now putting that into practice in his own. But City would have been three or four goals to the good by 80 minutes, and in the North London derby. Yeah, well, well, they might have been previously, but City, you know, went three three and a half hours. I was having a shot on target, you know, recently. So, so it happens to everyone, mate. Um, just, just for what it's worth, I think what would play Arsenal's favour um, for the title is that is that now with it being so competitive further down, as in, it's probably competitive now for five or six teams below, they will take points off each other. So, you know, as you saw last week with Manchester United beating Manchester City, listen, Liverpool will take points off teams, Chelsea will take points off teams, and they're not really in the mix. So I think what 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 you, you, you're sort of assuming that the teams below will win a lot of games, I don't think, for example, that City will go on the sort of run that we know they've been capable of in the past where they win, say, 18, 19 games. You know, City will not win every one of their remaining games. I can guarantee that. I think that's where Arsenal might be 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 um, um, be advantaged by that sort of um, competitiveness behind. They play Manchester United on Sunday. Jeremy just said, oh, well, about, you know, United will be out of the title race if they lose on Sunday. So we were very quick. We, 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 were we too hasty to put them in the title race and too hasty will we, will we be to take them out? In other words, maybe these last, maybe last night against Palace was a bit of a, a reality check. Um, have United, I mean, got what it takes to actually mount a proper title challenge. Don't forget they are unbeaten in a long time. And maybe last night was just a bit of a blip. Um, yeah, I watched them last night, and uh, in fairness, Ten Hag said he he did admit he said I am going to have to criticize. It's the nicest coating ever, but he did say I am going to have to criticize my players because they should have been out of sight. They looked totally dominant, and you know, as any reporter knows, uh, those last minute goals when you're pretty convinced the result's going to go the other way, uh, the biggest pain in the job in terms of quick turnarounds. Um, they, they managed to pluck a draw out of the jaws of a victory there. Um, uh, and, yeah, it was they, they should have put that game to bed. Um, I think with what he's done in terms of turning around the mood of the club is extraordinary. But he was coming from so far behind that this is the kind of transitional year. To start talking about titles was, I think, over-exuberance. Um, on the back of a decent run of a temporary decent run of results, uh, and the real measure of Ten Hag is going to be what he does next I'm season. A decent run of results. There were nine games on the spin. Yeah, nine on the spin, but but teams go on that sort of run and do nothing. Um, that's the point. You have to do twenty games on the spin, like City can do, um, to be title champions. And they are, if they finish fourth, that yeah, they've only had five worst seasons in the Premier League. That's what Manchester United are about. You know, they are a top team. And they didn't start the season as a top team. That was the problem for Ten Hag. Uh, and they had the, the shaky early spell when he couldn't keep a goal out. You know, he had players he needed to sort out, issues he needed to resolve. And he's done all that. So the measure of him will be next season when they start day one as title contenders. Their fans next season will be expecting them to challenge for the title. And if you can mount that challenge, as Arteta has done this season, without that expectation, he's kind of done it above expectation. If you can truly battle for the title, that's the measure of, of when Ten Hag's a success because that is what Manchester United managers are employed to do, to win the title. You know, um, and this these seasons that have gone uh, have shown how hard it is to finish in the top four. But but finishing third, even second, 
that's not enough for United. And yeah, and I think they're too far away already to mount a serious challenge this year. Yeah, I agree with Matt. I mean, look, they're, they're flirting with the title, aren't they, this season? And it is absolutely amazing how much progress they have made in such a short space of time under Ten Hag. They are way ahead of probably where most people who connected with United thought they would be at this stage of the season. Um, and the transformation has been brilliant to see. Um, I don't think they'll win the title, no. And if you asked anyone like Richard Arnold, the CEO, or any of the directors or Ten Hag or the players, they would probably take top four now and say, job done, we're back in the Champions League again. Um, and we can sign some decent players in the summer, maybe Kane. And like Matt said, you know, start next season with Ten Hag having had a full season on his belt to change things, implement his ways and means and what have you, and, and, and go again. Um, so I can't see them winning the title. But, you know, you just don't know, do you? You just don't know. Arsenal could collapse. City, City are inconsistent. United are very consistent. I mean, they should have won that game last night. I think if they'd have won last night, it would have been the first time they'd won 10 games on the spin since Fergie was manager. That's how impressive, yeah. So, you know, they are a different beast than the Ten Hag. There's no doubt about it. And the way, like, you know, we were, we were at Old Trafford last weekend to see them come back and beat City. And I was stunned when they won that game. I couldn't believe it because I thought City would just go on and win that game, having taken the lead after an hour. And now they showed real backbone and character. There's a real, they're a totally different team to what they were under previous regimes, and that's that's full credit to Ten Hag. So they are going places under Ten Hag. That's for it sure. Is. I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, I thought they were extremely lucky to to win that game against City. One of the more bizarre decisions you're likely to see um, led to the equaliser. Just quickly, Jeremy, just finally on Manchester United, um, you mentioned about probably you know next season being the one you know when when you know if they can qualify for top four and then really mount a challenge next season. Will they have a new owner at the start of next season? You'd like to think so. I mean, look, it, it, these things tend to rumble on and on and you, you, you hear and read about various people around the world wanting to buy United. And, you know, look, why wouldn't you want to buy United? The Glazers have made a fortune out of um, owning Manchester United, as we all know. Um, obviously, Jim Radcliffe's hanging around as a Man- Manchester United supporter, one of the richest men in the country. But even for someone like him, I'm led to believe the Glazers are looking for around eight billion quid. I mean, the Glazers will not, A, they will not sell cheaply. B, they won't care who they sell the club to. If that means selling it to a Saudi investment fund, that will happen. And I can't see, even with the wealth of Radcliffe, how he can compete with the Saudis uh, or the, the you know various people who operate in the Middle East. It's just they, they're on a different level in terms of wealth. So, yeah, you would, I mean, look, supporters will would, would love to think that by kickoff next season, they would have new owners in place. but it's all down to the Glazers and it will be such a complex deal to get over the line. You just It'll go on for months. So it'll rumble on and on and you'll read and hear about all various different things going on. But, you know, I wouldn't like to predict when it will get, when, when a deal will actually get completed. No, I mean, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, I don't understand why, um, okay, it would be a huge profit, but I don't understand why the Glazers would sell a resurgent United. That's the point, you know, if United are in in resurgent mood. We know their pull around the world. We know their commercial pull. We know the interest in Manchester United. So to me, um, they would just keep a cash cow. And then, and I, I think they would only sell it personally. 
I think they'd only sell it lock, stock, and barrel. Listen, they, they might get some new investments in, i.e., make you know sell some of their shares for for big bucks. But to me, I think they'd probably you know think, well, why would you sell this cash cow if it's if it's on the on on the up and up? As that just about wraps it up. Just quickly though, Arsenal Man U. Let, let's pick that out as the big one of the weekend, and let's have a prediction for um, Arsenal Man U United. Jeremy, without Casemiro, that's a big loss for United. I'm going to go two-one Arsenal. Matt, and I'm going to go two-nil because I don't think I don't think United will score. Yeah, I fancy I fancy United. I think they're quite solid. So I fancy I fancy a draw one-one. There are obviously other massive games on this weekend. And we haven't even mentioned Liverpool, Chelsea, and which is probably a reflection of of, of what um, a sort of you know mildly disappointing season both are having. But I'm sure we'll come on to them next week at the same time. Hopefully, John Cross from the Daily Mirror will be with us then as well. But for now, enjoy the game, enjoy the weekend, um, enjoy your football. Hold up. 